today's reading is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, five verses 21 to 43, on page 1007 in the Church Bible. Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Hearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Turn on your TV, read the newspaper. Get an update on social media. Wherever you look at the moment, you can't escape it. If you read the headlines, there's this sense of dread, a creeping anxiety about the future. Fear is slowly threatening 
uh, to take a grip of our hearts. Whether it's climate change, the refugee crisis, the coronavirus, Brexit, flooding, there is just so much for us to be concerned about in our world at the moment. So how do we respond as Christians? Well, first of all, we need to keep a sense of perspective, don't we? And we don't need to overreact. But it's right to be informed. Um, and we need to be aware that fear can actually paralyze us, or at the very least, make us very difficult to live with. What do we do with these strong emotions when we have them as Christians? Well, I think our Bible passage this morning has something to teach us uh, about fear. To, and to do that, we're going to be looking at Jesus through the eyes of the crowd, uh, through the eyes of a woman with a long-term health condition, and through the eyes of a man with a very sick daughter. And I have, very th have three very simple messages this morning. Remember, he's with us. Reach out to him and believe in him. But let's pray as we begin. Holy Spirit, our teacher, as we dive into the Bible today, would you awaken our hearts, expand our minds, and shape our identities. Amen. Amen. So we are going to begin uh, by seeing Jesus through the eyes of the crowd. And I'd like you, you to imagine in your head uh, two contrasting scenes. First of all, uh, the first one is from the most recent uh, Oscar ceremony in L.A., where the great and the good came from, from across the film industry, gathered to honor the talent and creativity in film. The red carpet was rolled out, the photographers were poised, TV journalists just waiting to get a scoop. But where are the crowds? Where are the ordinary people? They're all behind barriers. They're partitioned off. They don't get to mingle with the stars. They can only watch from a distance. They can only gaze and wonder what it will be like to talk with one of these celebrities, shake their hand, ask them a question. But let's leave Hollywood behind for a moment. Imagine you are in first century Palestine. It's hot and it's dusty. There's a huge crowd of people down by the Lake Galilee. People are pushing and shoving each other just to get nearer to a man who's standing in the midst of them. There are no barriers. There's no red carpets, no bodyguards or protocol. And anyone can get up close to this man, Jesus. Look in verse 21. It says, when Jesus had crossed again over by boats to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And it seems like wherever Jesus goes, there are crowds. Crowds made up of people, individual people who are curious, desperate, hopeful, amazed. They're coming to listen to his teaching, to bring their sick, the demon-possessed, the blind, the lame. And who are they? Well, they're just ordinary working people. Farmers, fishermen, the rural poor, a few tax collectors who'd collaborated with the enemy, some of the local sex workers, and children. Lots of noisy children. And they are all mesmerized by Jesus. They just want to get a little bit closer to him, to look him in the eye, to be near him, to even reach out and touch him. When one does step forward, something dramatic and life-changing occurs. Can you see how these two, scene, two scenes have some similarities, but they're also so different? Celebrities attract crowds, but they're separate from them. 
Our celebs and even our royal family are protected. They're kept at a distance from crowds. There may be the occasional handshake with a glove on, but, and men in, black, men in black suits are watching, poised to intervene. But with Jesus, well, there's no protection, no barriers. He's with the people. He's for the people. He's available for them. He's in the midst of the dust. He's exposed to bacteria, vulnerable to fanatics. You see, Jesus doesn't live in an air-conditioned, pristine world. He deliberately places himself where people can walk up to him and ask him questions, reach out and touch him. This is the Son of God pitching his tent and living among us. Doesn't it warm your hearts to think of Jesus like that? That God should come and live among us, make himself available, vulnerable, exposed to disease and danger, just so that he can meet people, ordinary people like you and me. Of course, we know the crowds will eventually turn on him as we follow his journey to Jerusalem. The cry, as they cry, Hosanna, it will turn to crucify him. I think that's, that's why Jesus is always um, focusing on individuals in the crowds. He wants to know, who do you say I am? Not the crowd, you, who do you say I am? At our weekly um, prayer meeting um, on a Tuesday morning, which, by the way, is open to everybody, it's held at Crossgate Church opposite the um, prison, Father Michael um, shared a story with us. He told us that his former school, Wimbledon College in um, London, um, has been closed. One of the staff has been exposed to the virus, so the whole school has been closed. Um, but out, well, in the playground, um, at the entrance to the school, is a life-size statue of Jesus. Um, and as he prayed for his school, he prayed this. He says, may the boys at this school, I think it's a boys' school, know that the most important thing about this school is Jesus. I was really struck by that. And that uh, statue, and as the apparently as the TV um, covered the, this news story, for a number of seconds, the, 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 the cameras were on the statue of Jesus. Um, Jesus there in the midst of our mess, midst of our fears, he promises to be with us. So that's the first lesson as we face fear, is that Jesus is with us. Now let's move on to think about seeing Jesus through the eyes of a sick woman. In the crowd was a woman who'd been sick for 12 years. She'd had an illness, which meant she'd been subject to bleeding. And she'd done the rounds of the doctors, seeking a cure. She'd spent all her money, but gained nothing. There's a strong suspicion here that she'd been cheated, that she'd been exploited by them. We don't know this woman's name. She's anonymous. But it wasn't just the bankruptcy it wasn't just a debilitating illness that she struggled with, or the fact that she'd been exploited by those who should have helped her. There's something else that she carried. According to religious law, she was unclean. This put restrictions on her, both socially and her religious life. And she carries a sense of shame about who she is. No wonder this woman creeps up from the back of the crowd, approaches Jesus, reaching out to touch his cloak. As she pushes her way through the crowd, she must have been fighting all the fears inside her head. I'm unclean. I shouldn't be here. I'm not important enough. I've tried so many times to get help. 
Is it right to come to Jesus as a last resort? We've been running um, the Alpha course here at St. Stephen's, and I was really struck by what Nicky Dumble, the guy who's, who does the teaching on the video, says about shame. He said that many of us carry a sense of shame about who we are. And there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is feeling bad about what we've done. Shame is feeling bad about who we are. But Jesus on the cross took our guilt and our shame. So if we, if we put our trust in Jesus, if we, we receive his forgiveness in our lives, then we don't need to carry that sense of shame about who we are because he loves us and he has given us a purpose in his life. And there are so many promises that he has for us. Our worth is what we are worth to God. And what are we worth to God? For Jesus died for us. The message of the cross is that Jesus takes our guilt and our shame. We are so infinitely valuable to God. And as this woman reaches out to Jesus, she does it believing that Jesus has the power to heal. She says to herself in verse 28, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her faith was weak. It was timid. But Jesus honored her faith as immediately her bleeding stops and she's freed from her suffering. I wonder if you've seen Jesus in this way, the way that this woman sees Jesus, that he is so powerful that we can reach out to him from the shadows. Nobody else necessarily knows, needs to know what we're doing. We can do it in the quietness of our room at home. We can do it as we're walking down the street. We can do it here in church. Reach out to Jesus, believing that he has power to touch our lives. In the passage, we see that at once Jesus knew someone had touched him. And he wants to know who it was. The disciples say to him, what do you mean who touched you? You're surrounded by people pushing and jostling, and you say, who touched me? It's a bit like being in a rugby scum, scrum and, and saying, who touched me? But Jesus had felt power going out from him, and he knew this wasn't just physical contact. It was somebody who'd reached out to him in faith. But the woman tries to slip away unnoticed, but Jesus stops her. She comes back, and look what it says in verse 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Notice the fear here. And she told him the whole truth. Trembling with the fear, she fell at Jesus' feet. See how tenderly Jesus speaks to her. And he calls her daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This was her moment with Jesus. Jesus wasn't going to let her just creep away without him affirming her. She'd found more than a healer. She'd found a savior, a friend. And that's why the woman needs to come back, because she needs to tell that and share that story with others. She's his daughter. Her shame had been taken away as well. And he sends her away with the blessing of peace. In difficult times like we're experiencing now, the object in which we put our trust is really put to the test. And our hearts go out to those whose homes have been ruined by the floods. 
You can't imagine what it would be like to have a fire um, rage through our neighbourhood. Nor can we imagine the shock of a relative dying in a hospital in China or in Italy. So where do we put our trust? Is it in our homes? Is it in our relationships? They're all good things. They're all gifts from God. But is that all we have? Because those things can so easily be washed away. This woman came trembling with fear to Jesus. She put her trust in him. Other people had disappointed her. But she reaches out to Jesus. She's affirmed by Jesus. She'd found somebody she could trust. Her guilt, her shame were taken from her. If you're in that position this morning, then reach out to Jesus from wherever you are. Finally, we get to see Jesus through the eyes of Jairus. Now, Jairus and the woman's story are not really separate stories. You notice how they kind of get mixed up with each other. And Mark has written them in such a way that they're kind of intertwined. Each story impacts the other. And isn't that true of our stories as well? How our stories are intertwined with each other's and uh, part of God's uh, big story. But who would have guessed that a leader of a synagogue would come to ask Jesus for help? Because you see, he was an important figure in this community. And to, to associate with Jesus was a bit of a risky strategy. He would be severely criticized by the scribes and the Pharisees. They would not have been impressed that he approached Jesus. He may not have carried a sense of shame like the woman did, but it was hard to make a public show of asking Jesus for help. But this man was desperate. His 12-year-old daughter was critically ill. And we see in verse 23 that he believes that Jesus, all that Jesus has to do is come and put his hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus starts on the journey to go to his home. And then they're interrupted by this woman with this long-term condition. Can you imagine how Jairus would have felt at this point? If I was Jairus, I'd feel pretty miffed. I would be in turmoil. Why can't Jesus come back and sort this woman out later? Surely the priority is to get to my daughter, who's on the deathbed. Why can't he see that any delay will increase the likelihood of my daughter dying? Why can't he prioritize my need first? And to make matters worse, news comes in verse 35 that his daughter has died along with the recommendation that Jesus doesn't need to bother now. When we're in a desperate situation, we can feel frustrated. Why doesn't God do something? Why does he delay? But it seems that Jesus wants Jairus to see what's happening in the woman's life who comes to touch his clothes. Perhaps he needs to learn something, to see how important it is to have faith and believe, just as the woman had. Jesus is aware that Jairus is now conflicted. Should he bother? Should Jairus bother Jesus now? But Jesus says something important. He says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Words which enable him to break out of his fear and take Jesus home. Everything was saying, don't take Jesus home. His friend has said, don't bother, she's great. And when they do get home, there's all the professional mourners outside screaming and wailing. And when Jesus suggests they actually go into the bedroom where the, the child is now lying there, she's dying, they're sort of dismissing him. What are you doing? She's dead disappointed. This, 
But you see, Jairus has decided to believe. And that belief enables him to go back home with Jesus, to go into the room and see Jesus do this amazing thing as he raises his daughter. And belief is important, isn't it? When we face difficulties, when we face fear. Because belief makes a whole world of difference. Because we will face the same challenges as everybody else does in our lives. But faith makes it all different, doesn't it? Because we believe that God has got a bigger purpose, as Val was praying earlier on. That God uh, will achieve what he wants to do in our lives and in the world. And we have the long-term hope of knowing that we will be with him forever. And that makes a difference in our lives. So we have a choice, do we, or to believe. Jesus says, don't be afraid, believe. So as we close this morning, I'd like to invite you to uh, join with me in a prayer. Please join in with the words in bold print. As we see Jesus through the eyes of the crowd, we remember he is with us. As we see Jesus through the eyes of a sick woman, we pray, touch our lives, Lord. As we look at Jesus through the eyes of a religious leader, we choose belief over fear. Amen. We are going to prepare.